Thanks for tuning in to the Calvary Carlsbad podcast. Today's message was taken from our 10 a.m. service. If you'd like to join us in person, you can get more info at our website at calvarycarlsbad.com. Let's jump right in, and we hope you're encouraged. The last chapter here, um, chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. Uh, and I've titled the message this morning, Mission Accomplished. Uh, this is, uh, by way of reminder, Timothy's very last letter he ever wrote. He knows death is imminent, um, and it's most likely he's going to be, you know, uh, executed shortly, and he, he knows it. Uh, and so we're getting, at the, especially at the end, you're, you're getting this, this, like, exhale of life, and also uh, you see what really matters, and we've kind of talked about that. At the end of your life, what really matters becomes clear, and what doesn't becomes clear. So you see the things that, that have value and that don't. Uh, you kind of get a, a more of an eternal kingdom perspective rather than, you know, what we're living in around us, worldly perspective. The things that matter here don't necessarily matter there. And so you value people and you value, you know, your relationship with the Lord. So we kind of see that uh, here as we're going to be going through. It's just three verses, uh, but there's a lot there. So if you'd stand, we'll read those verses together and then we'll pray. For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word this morning. We pray that you would help us to take it seriously like we should, because it's your, it's, it's your word that is cutting, cuts right to the, the bottom of it all, that cuts and divides the, our hearts and our, our ambitions and our desires. And so, God, we pray that you would uh, give us ears to hear and eyes to see, that you'd move by your spirit and uh, minister to us in the things we want to hear and the things we don't want to hear, uh, that you would open up our eyes to the stuff that's hurting us or holding us back or, or hurting and holding back others around us. Lord, we pray that you'd have your way in us this morning in Jesus name. Amen. You guys may be seated. So the first five uh, verses of chapter four are, are really good. And I was actually just going to read them again really quick uh, way of recap. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead, and at his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn, away, turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all, these, in all things. Endure afflictions, do the work of evangelists, fulfill your ministry. This is Paul's charge. This is his passing of the torch to Timothy. He's like, hey, I'm not going to be here much longer. I need you to know this. I need you to know this. And so he's passing the torch or passing the baton to continue on in faithful ministry, to herald the good news, to speak the good news, to tell everybody about the good news of the gospel. He also warns them about the challenges that are coming and the challenges that he will face. There will be challenges, Timothy. 
You're going to have to deal with people who are, have itching ears, and so they're going to heap up for themselves teachers that they want to hear. They're going to, they're going to raise up for themselves people that, that voices they want to hear and messages that they want to hear that they agree with. Know that that's going to happen, Timothy, but at the same time, your job is to keep on preaching the word. Whether they do whatever they do, your job is to continue to preach the word. How is he to preach the word? With passion, with conviction, in truth, well, in a winsome way, right? You know, people are like, they'll like come and they'll just read like a little bit of the Bible and they go, well, I give them the word, you know, right? That's good. It's not a bad thing, but is there a better way to do it? Right? And so that's the idea is, is to exhort, to convince, to rebuke. All of these things are, are ways of which you preach the gospel. The ways in which you preach the word without backing down, without adding to it, without any of that stuff. Without making it, you know, the things that scratch the ears. But at the same time meeting the culture that you're involved and you're serving. And so that's one of the questions of the day is how do we meet people where they're at with the message of the gospel, right? And so we meet them with the truth that is deep down inside of them they hope is true. Guess what? That your purpose that you're looking for, it's found in Christ. The identity that you're so desperately trying to grab onto and you can't find, so you keep changing the way that people view you, right? That's kind of like the idea of pronouns, how do you see me? How do I want you to see me? Right? People are looking for identity. And so we can get so mixed up and messed up and we're going, this is insane. And, but we've got to look beyond that into the deeper message. It's like people don't know who they are. We don't know who we are. And so then we look to the church and a lot of the church doesn't even know who they are. So how can we be leading people in the light if we're not even in it ourselves? So Paul's saying, Timothy, first of all, you've got to be the real deal if we're going through the whole book. You've got to be the real deal, and then you've got to preach the real deal. Like, think about me, Timothy. Follow in my example. I showed you the way. And now here's the baton. Because guess what? I'm about done. You know? And, and if you follow any of uh, uh, the Apostle Paul, as you see, we've been going through Philippians with our men's group, which has been awesome, by the way. It's been such a good time. It feels like we never have enough time. We, it's always it's rich conversation. I mean, I go home so excited after that. And then the women's group Thursdays also, I've heard nothing but good reports. But it's in Philippians. And we know Paul is, has this same thing where he's like, if I go home, he thinks he might be on death row then. If I am with the Lord, then I, that's great. If not, great. I'm going to preach the gospel or I'm going to be with Jesus. Either way. And so Paul's now at the end, and he knows it's the end. And so he's saying, right, I'm, I'm going to go be with Jesus, but my concern is for the next generation. So what does he do? Bellyache and complain, no, raises up the next generation. And then gives them the baton. Listen, I'm about done here. It's your job, Timothy. I charge you. That's what he says at the beginning of this. I charge you to preach the word. Right? I think a lot of people are looking for, for strong men and women to speak into their life and tell them that they are part of the team. Right? Especially those who have had bad family 
deals. Maybe your dad wasn't affirming to you and, and as a kid and didn't tell you things that were helpful to you or, or, or like encouraging to you or whatever. Or your mom was always negative or whatever. And you always felt like when you come to church, you were always like a little kid and you were never part of it. You know, you couldn't actually be part of it or whatever. Let this be char- a charge to us all. Whether you're a Timothy who's preaching the word as a pastor or if you're anybody else, our, we are all to be prepared to evangelize and to speak the truth to anyone in season and out of season. The word in the King James is instant, right? You got the idea of instant. You add hot water and it's ready to go, right? So that's, that's where we're ready to go at all points. Just add water. You're good to go, you know? So uh, this is for all of us. So if you've never been charged, here's your charge, <laughs> You've been officially charged by the Apostle Paul to Timothy to us from us here. So, verse 6, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. So Paul is using this imagery of things that were done ceremonially uh, as part of the temple rules and regulations. Uh, That's the drink offering. We see it in Exodus. It's in multiple places in the Pentateuch. Exodus 29, uh, starting at verse 40, it says, uh, With the one lamb shall be one-tenth of an ephah of flour mixed with one-fourth of a hin of pressed oil and one-fourth of a hin of wine as a drink offering. And the other lamb you shall offer at twilight, and you shall offer with it the grain offering and the drink offering as in the morning for a sweet aroma uh, an offering made by fire to the Lord. So this drink offering was to be poured out before the Lord, and the wine was representation of what? Yeah, right. We think about what. Think about the. What did we do last week? Communion, the blood, right? And so Paul's saying, "I am being poured out as a drink offering," meaning my blood is about to be poured out. It's no longer in me. It will be out of me. I will be done. My life will be gone. Life is in the blood. The life is found in the blood. And so he's saying, I'm just about done. But notice the very last thing of Paul's life will be an offering to the Lord. The last thing I do will be an offering to the Lord. So like my whole life was captured in following Jesus and and offering myself as unto the Lord. So will my death be. And it will be a martyr's death. So he's using this imagery. I'm already, so Timothy, I charge you. So all of that, for I am being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure is at hand. Uh, Philippians 2, we're actually gonna cover that this week in our men's group and women's group. We're staying together. I don't know if you guys knew that. We're staying on track. Isn't that fun? So if you have a spouse that's in it, you guys can talk about it. There there you go. Uh, Philippians 2, verse 17 and 18. yes. And if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all for the same reason you also be glad and rejoice with me. Paul was willing to be poured out as a drink offering then as a martyr before the Lord, and he's going to be experiencing it now. And so Paul's saying, my life is meant to serve and not just serve. I think what this Philippians text gives us, it's not just to serve in an abstract manner, but it's to serve people. I'm willing for my body, my life to be poured out as a drink offering for you all. Is to the Lord 
and it, by way of two people and through people, right? So Paul's departure is at hand. I like the way he views death too. It's like a departure. You know, I'll be, you know, I'll be t- departing and then I will be, what does that mean? You're going somewhere else, right? It, it's, it doesn't have like this, like the same ominous feel that death has to the rest of the world, right? And so even when we, we uh, see death explained, it's like for those who sleep, right? So there's an element of sleep to where we go. We look at death and it's like, it's like man, this is just a holding period. You'll wake up in the morning. You know, that's one of the hardest things when you're a kid is going to sleep. And my kids are always, they struggle with that. <laughs> They're like, they just, you tell them, all right, guys, you could talk. They're all three in one room because we're, we're city living here, you know, in the village. <laughs> and so uh, we're like, you guys can talk for five minutes. Whatever. Yeah, it's like, thanks, mom and dad, five minutes, sure. There's three of us in here, and we all like to talk. And so about a half an hour later, I've taken my shower and everything. My, they're still talking. She's like, yeah, listen to them. They're laughing. And I'm like, right, cool. But at the same time, you guys got to go to bed, all right? And so you eventually go up there, and you're like, all right, guys, that's it, that's it, you know. And she's like, who's the first one to fall asleep? Usually the little one. She's like, you know, she's out. And the other two are still chatting about who knows what. We usually find out later. They're telling me some of the funny stuff they come up with or whatever. Um, Whatever, you know. And so, but the idea of sleep, you see someone asleep and and you, you see them. And sometimes our youngest, she'll come downstairs and she'll be like, she'll see us asleep. And she'll just be like, I can hear her in the room. You can hear her breathing. And she's just like, I wonder what, and I'm thinking, is she just wondering if we're awake or not or what? But then I heard her a couple days ago say, "Um, guys, mom and dad's asleep. I'm going to go wake them up. (laughs) And we were awake already. So she comes downstairs, and I'm like, I want to see how she does this, because maybe she does it a lot. And so I'm just sitting there, and I hear her breathing, and all of a sudden I feel her little hand grab my toes. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm like, and I'm just sitting there, I'm acting like I'm not waking up. And she grabs my toes, then she grabs my other foot, and then she starts going, shaking them, shaking them, before I know it, I'm waking up. I don't like you being asleep, wake up. And so sometimes that's what death feels like. I don't want you to be asleep, but sleep is only for a season. It's not forever. So Paul's saying, I, I, this is my departure, it's from one place to another. When you think of departure, what do you think of? What, I think about the airport, don't you? We're gonna, it's like, I'm going here, and I'll see you guys later, especially friends and family. They leave the airport. That's like a big leave. That means you, you can't drive there in a day, you know, usually. It's like, we're going to see you guys. They're, they're departing. They're going somewhere else. And so we have that same kind of a, a, a you know, way of looking at death, just like Paul. He's not sad like we normally think. We grieve. We need to grieve for people we love that have gone on. I, that's, the idea of not grieving is a really weird one because the Bible has it all over the place. There's lots of psalms of lamentation. There's literally a book of lamentations. So, so to, to feel pain, and it, that's a normal thing. But we, don't, we sorrow, but not like those who have no hope. That's the difference. Okay? So Paul then says this, I have fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Mission accomplished. Three different declarative statements from recurring themes throughout his whole life. 
You see this throughout all of his writings, everything he's written. These are recurring themes that he's hoping he's faithful, that he's hoping he finishes the race, right? That he's hoping that he fights the good fight. I was reading in a commentary, R. Kent Hughes, great commentary writer, and, uh, and he was talking about the good fight, and he did this whole picture of um, the armor, Ephesians 6, armor of God. And he says, couldn't you just see Paul's breastplate beaten up? You know, scratches on it and, you know, spots where arrows almost went in or whatever. And, uh, you know, and then you see his, his shield and the shield is, has seen better days. You know, his helmet's oblong. It kind of doesn't fit quite right because he's gotten whacked so many times, you know. And it's like his feet, they, they, they're so well trodden. He's been going all over the place. For the, he's been bringing the gospel everywhere. The sword, sharp as ever, is, has been through war after war after war. Paul has fought the good fight. He's, he's fought the good fight. His whole life he's fought the good fight. So he can look back without any uncertainty like, I don't know. I don't know how I did. Find out when I get to heaven if I make it or not. No, he knew where he was going. Partially why? Because he knew the person he was going to see. He had a real relationship with Jesus. So to be closer to Jesus, he's probably already closer to Jesus now than he is to the earth. He's gotten, he's gotten so close to God, it's like, it might be easier for me to just go over there than to come over here. Like an Enoch situation, right? He walked with God and then he's, he's not there. You just kept walking with God, and God's like, hey, just come on, man, let's go. You're too, you're too far from home, man. You're with me now. You just stay over here. And so I think that's part of the thing with Paul. He fought the good fight. He didn't back down. You know, he brought, and he, he didn't back down, and he didn't engage in the wrong kind of warfare. That's the other thing, right? And he reminds us again and again, our, our weapons are not carnal, right? They're spiritual and they're mighty for pulling down strongholds. So it's not about the, the, the weapons we see around us. And it's so, you're, there's usually two types of people, right? They talk about fight or flight. Are you a fight person or are you a flight person? You don't have to raise your hand. But you probably know who you are, right? And so for the, some people, the idea of fighting is just like, I, I would rather die than get into an any confrontation or an argument with anybody, I'll just let it all go. Some, you know, that's kind of a problem, right? Because then you're, you're like really not okay inside. Because you never really told anyone what you think about anything. And those are the type of people that eventually blow up at some point, right? Because it's like, I can't take it anymore. And it's like somebody spills spaghetti and you've like lost it. And you're going, it was just spaghetti. Oh, no, it wasn't. It was years of avoidance, right? Okay. So those people don't want to fight at all. Then you have the people who want to fight about everything. Everything you say is a fight to me and it's a challenge, right? And so that's true in the church. Some people don't want to engage at all. And some people want to engage in all the wrong stuff. Both are bad, right? We're called to fight the good fight. Not any fight, not every fight, the good fight. Okay? And so we're reminding ourselves, if, you're, if spiritual armor and spiritual uh, weapons aren't working, you might be in the wrong fight. <laughs> you might be fighting a different kind of a fight. 
And so uh, it's a good thing to remember, right? So Paul's fought the good fight. And he says, I finished the race. Paul, certainly a lover of athletics. I'm with him. I was watching all the baseball games yesterday. Very entertaining. Congrats to the Seattle Mariners, you know, if you missed it, sorry. Padres fans, whoo, today's a big day, right? Okay, because the Padres and the Mets, they got the finals. We got some friends from New Jersey. Are you guys Mets fans by any chance? Yes? What are you? What fans are you? You're, you're a Mets fan, are you? What are you? Yankee fan, okay, so, you know. I'm a Dodger fan, so our day is coming, okay? Uh, <laughs> hopefully, we'll see you soon. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's a big game today, right? It's here in San Diego. Everybody's watching, you know, fighting. We love athletics. We love to see the battle. Paul seemed to love races and athletics, and he brought it up often. For, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 do you, you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus not with uncertainty, thus I fight. So we got run and fight here. Not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body, bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. This actually has all three in there. Paul has succeeded in all three of the things that he mentions here, right? The, the race, right? He says the race, the fight. And then he says that I should not become disqualified. He says, I kept the faith. I was able to keep it. I made it all the way. And so uh, Paul says people will go to great lengths to run for uh, an imperishable crown. Well, the idea was literally when they would win stuff back in the day, like the you know, Olympic-type games, uh, they would, they'd go and win these games, and uh, what, was, what would they get? You might think, oh, a crown. So we think a gold crown. No, no, it was made out of plants, okay? It was like a crown made out of, like, leaves and stuff. So when Paul's saying an, a perishable crown, it's perishable. I mean, it'll fall apart soon. It's made out of, like, grass, like, come on, you know? We were playing softball, and uh, our team got, had got moved up to another league, a different team I was on. Not our team yet. We'll see, okay? Uh, and the team up there was just over the top. Like, they would not swing at any pitches that were, like, anywhere close. So they'd walk, 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 and we're like, guys, we're playing adult slow pitch softball. Please swing the bat. And they're up, like, 15. And one of the guys on our team says, hey, guys, I've seen the t-shirt you get when you win the league. It's not that cool. Swing the bat. You know, have fun, man. I mean, are you going to go home and say, honey, make way. Your man walked four times today in an adult softball league. Oh, babe, come here. You're just, that's just amazing. Did you tie too? You know, it's like, oh, gosh. So you got this, these kind of things uh, running through our heads where we, we're do, we'll do anything to win something, a medal, a trophy that's worth pennies. It's like you'll do anything to win those things. Again, I think part of this has to do with our identity, yes, also our purpose. What are we here for, right? And so we find purpose in anything. And maybe you are this person, maybe you know this person. You're like a chronic finding the next thing person. 
You scale the top of one mountain and you go, ah, dang, this wasn't what I thought it would be. Or that was cool. What else can I do? You know? And so we have to find something else, something else. I've got to become the best at this. And then I got to become the best at this. And so you grabbing on the hobbies, grabbing on to new things. Ah, I've got to find it. I got to find it. I got to find it. You know, could it be maybe that this, this, this stuff is doomed to fail you because you weren't created to do these things? Not that you can't do them, but they won't give you what you're looking for. And I've mentioned it. It's been a while back, but Deion Sanders came to that uh, recognition after he had won the Super Bowl and the World Series. You guys know how freak of an athlete? Him and Bo Jackson, I mean, maybe two of the best athletes ever, right? And he won it, and, and he said that he was like, afterwards, he was just empty. And he ended up trying to take his own life, but he crashed his car, and it was a huge Mercedes that was super safe, and he survived. And so he was just like, I can't even end my own life. Like, what am I doing? And, I'll, and God met him, and, you know, I don't know where he's at now with his relationship with the Lord, but this was something I watched on a sports program, like a Fox Sports or something. He was proclaiming the love of Jesus, that he had he'd met Christ, and his, he found purpose for the first time in his life. Again, I can't speak to his character after that, but I remember hearing, we should probably listen to guys who are at the top of the mountain saying, I'm, there's nothing here. I've searched everything. I can't find it. I've won a championship in both sports I play professionally. There's nothing here. Money. You know, he was living the whole life. You guys can fill in the blanks, I'm sure. And all of a sudden his life has changed because he realized this isn't it. So uh, we don't fight for an imperishable crown. For, uh, for a perishable crown, we go for an imperishable crown, right? So Paul is finished. He's fought the good fight. Done. Finish the race, right? I fought the good fight. I don't fight as one who beats the air. I'm not just doing this for no reason. I finished the race. He has finished the race. I think it's also interesting. He said, he doesn't say he won the race. He said, I finished it. (laughs) That's good. Well done, you know? And then he says, I've kept the faith. He hasn't been disqualified. It's really important for all of us to recognize there's stuff out there that can ensnare us really, really, really easily. Um, and I think it's also important to note, no one cares how your ministry or your life or, or uh, you know, uh, witness starts. It's how it ends, right? So that's something that should keep us all, I don't want to say up at night, but kind of, right? Where we're, we're, we're cautious. We know how easy it would be to destroy everything. And so Paul recognized that and he said it all the time. I want to make sure I'm doing it so I don't become disqualified. I want to make sure that none of my running and laboring is going to be in vain. I better make sure I'm staying close to Christ or else I'm going to see it get real twisted. Why does he say this? Because he's seen it again and again and again. And he knows the flesh is, is strong. And it's something you're going to have to deal with your whole life to some extent. Um, so Paul knew his life and ministry could be blown up if he strayed from the faith. So he he knew he had to keep the faith, and he did. He could say at the end of his life, I have kept the faith. Um, And a lot of times people, you know, will will like kind of fudge their faith for good intentions, in a sense, right? Or or the message, I'm just trying to reach more people. I'm just trying to make it easier for them. But it's so, uh, going a little 
to the side of the truth, the results can be disastrous, right? And you think about that in, as far as like, you know, being one degree off is no big deal when you're a couple feet away. But then when you go miles and miles down the road, it's a huge difference where you end up. Now, now times that by a thousand miles, and then it's like you could be in another country, right? Or in the ocean or something. <laughs> Who knows? So we're constantly being cautious and aware of how easy it is for us to slip and we're staying humble, okay? Verse eight, finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So instead of the perishable crown, he's going to get the crown of righteousness. What is that? It's a good question. I, a lot of people have different opinions about it, but Paul knew there was a great reward awaiting him. It's important to remember that his life is not all that there is. Otherwise, he'd be inclined to build his treasures here. Paul is awaiting his greatest treasures in heaven. He's got his, his mindset is like, my crown is there. You know, I don't, I'm not looking for my crown here. It's there, right? And so we sow and we, we, we put all of our, our treasures and our hope and our, our you know, everything that we think matters, it's got a heavenly bent towards it. It's got a trajectory towards heaven. It's got a trajectory towards eternal life, right? Because that's what Jesus came and preached. That's what Jesus came and brought. A, 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 a reordering of the way we see the world. A focus that helped us to see, man, you, you know what? Everybody else around you is going to be storing up treasures for themselves on earth, but, but moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. But if you do it in heaven, don't worry about all that stuff. You're going to be way, it's going to be way easier for you to not be stressed out, you know? I had uh, one of our, we were closing the garage at our house and it hit one of the trash cans and it came back up. And um, I didn't realize it because I thought it was, we were good. And I walked inside. I don't normally do that. Uh, but I walked back inside and hours passed, like many hours. And it was about like 930 at night. And uh, my neighbor, God bless him, said, hey, is, did you mean for your garage door to be open? Which is a nice way of saying, there's no way you did. It's dark. Why is it open? And I was like, no, and I sprinted out the door, um, you know, I, I don't, whatever. I don't know if I was dressed right or whatever. He was out there, and he's like, hey, man, you know, I'm like, thank you. <laughs> I closed it. You know, I pulled the thing back, and I closed it, and I was like, ah. You know, that we, when we lived in Orange County, we had a garage, and there was, like, nothing in it. That thing could be open all day long, right, when you first get it. But now it's like, there's stuff in there, man. I got a mountain bike in there. I got like, there's some stuff in there that I was like, I don't want to lose. Like there's, there's treasure. That's sort of like, you're stressed out. Now I'm like, now I'm like very anxious about that door, you know? Is it closed, right? Uh, what's going on, you know? Like from the Inland Empires, I'm always checking my wallet. Where's my wallet? It's here. Okay, cool. I'm good. You know, like everywhere you go, you're like, you, you bumped into me. Oh, you just bumped into me. Okay. What was that about? You know, 
And so it's like, this is the kind of stuff, right? Where we're, we're always, we're worried about this. And it kind of feels like the more you got, or the more you really, it's actually more about what you care about it. The more you're like, ah, the more to lose, ah. We put our, our hope and our trust in, in heaven. You go, oh, okay, that can't be taken. What I have there can't be taken. So Paul knows there is a crown of righteousness waiting for him. Uh, what's one of the things we know about this? So like I said, there's different opinions or ideas on a crown of righteousness. One, thing, one of the things we know for sure, Jesus is the one who gives it. Jesus is giving this because we'll see it's about the one who has loved his appearing. He's going to be the one uh, that's the righteous judge, and on that day he will give this. Okay, so could be that the righteousness is the final step of righteousness, which would be justification. I mean, not justification, glorification, okay? We're justified when we become Christians. That means we're made right before God. We're sanctified as the process from that point on until we go into uh, eternity. Either Jesus comes and takes us back or we die and we go see him glorification is the final process where the flesh is done away with all of that stuff so it could be that right and it's not to say it's not also that could be a reward for living for god right there's a righteous reward a reward for righteousness a crown okay uh we do know that there's a judgment about that we talked about it a little bit last week that there's gonna be rewards for those who've used what they've been given unto god's glory and we're going to be bummed if we really didn't. doesn't mean it's going to be a judgment of you go to heaven, you go to hell. But there's going to be this beam of seat judgment where we stand before God and he says, what did you do with the talents I gave you? What did you do with the resources I gave you? What did you do with the mind I gave you? What did you do with that athletic, strong body I gave you? What did you do? And so that's something we think about. Okay, there's a judgment of um, you know, how, how did we live? How did we, will we have anything left? Or will it all be burned away? Will it all be like, you know, worthless? Will there be anything left? That's a good, it's a good question for us to ask ourselves. Not on a works-based salvation, but on a works-realized or actualized life. As we are becoming more like Christ, that should manifest by lives that look more like Christ. Right? So we could say, follow me as I follow Christ. Uh, so that could be like, and the righteous crown could be one to rule them all. You get righteousness, you get everything else. Like it all, it all works then. Because you've been made completely right. You've been cleansed. Uh, I don't know. But it, it is not perishable. We know that for sure. This crown is not perishable. It's not here today and gone tomorrow. It doesn't wilt or anything like that. It'll be something that will last uh, the, you know, tale of time in a sense. We do know we'll be able to put our crowns at his feet too. So what do we do with that crown? I don't know, but I do know it's not a perishable crown. It's an imperishable crown. And it's for Paul, at the, all those who loved the first and second coming of Christ. Uh, it's for Paul and it's for all of us, right? And it's those who have loved the first and second coming of Christ. That's what he says at the end there. Also to all those who loved his appearing. Those whose eyes are fixed on him. We've re- this is us. We've received the good news. So we've, uh, our witnesses of his first coming, which would be Jesus coming, dying on the cross, rising again, ascending into heaven, and then pouring out his spirit upon the church to start the apostolic age, which is now the modern, the church age that we all live in. 
Starts with that, then it goes to the second coming when Jesus comes back again. Those who have loved his appearing first time are looking with anticipation to the second one. So we look around, we see the world around us, and we say, Jesus could certainly come back soon. We love that idea, and we live with that in, in our minds, right? We, we have that, that mindset, right? Where we're like looking and we're like, he could come back any day. So what does that mean? I remember the, the sarcastic bumper sticker that said, Jesus is coming back, everyone look busy. Do you guys remember seeing that? Uh, that was like big in the early 2000s, you know, and it was totally sarcastic towards Christians, right? But there is a part to where that really sobers up our life, doesn't it? Where, where if we know someone's coming back, we got to get it together quick. Like when I know it's Sunday coming, I've got to get this place in order. Any projects I've been working on, like putting holes in walls or something <laughs> or whatever, which actually did happen this week. Um, then you got to go, okay, um, we got to get this in order because people are coming and they're showing up. And so we need to like be aware of that, right? And so how much more so are we looking at, man, Jesus could come back at any minute. So we want our lives to be those that reflect well the good news of the gospel, that we are living in it. And there's an expectation and, uh, and, and a single-mindedness of like, man, we, why are we here a short time? Man, it's a short time. It goes quick, right? Can we get an amen? Does it go quick? Man, those years go quick. Remember you used to count half years? I'm, a, I'm seven and a half. And now you're like, I don't know how old I am. I'm somewhere in the, I think I'm in this decade. Nope, nope, it's the next one. How old are you? 39, my mid-30s, early, late 20s. You know, it's like, what? How old are you really? Hold on, what year is it? 20, okay. Oh, I'm 40. (laughs) What, wait, what? (laughs) How did that happen? You know, it's like, time goes fast. It goes really fast. And so we want to be careful and use the years we have wisely because we don't want to have, you know, we don't want to go before the Lord and go, hey, man, I gave you so many opportunities. And think about, like, the fruits of, you know, what could have been born out of a life that was following Jesus. God has called us to live lives. Not all people are going to be pastors, but we're all called to uh, be evangelists to some extent, to reach people with the, the gospel message, with the good news of Christ, to meet people where they're at, to give them, to give them a hope and to tell them the reason for the hope inside of you. To stir them. We're all called to do that. So what are we doing with the time uh, and what we've been given? If you're wasting it only on yourself, people notice it. And they go, oh, that must be what Christianity is. It's not really about, it's about you. So it's like, no judgment. We all do it, right? But if you've been given great opportunities and great resources and great ability, use it for God's glory. Find a way to use it. And I guarantee you that whatever you thought you would lose by following Jesus, you will find out you did not. You'll find out that there was more fulfillment in serving Christ than in any other thing. So Paul gives us this beautiful picture of a life well lived. And he gives us this beautiful picture of someone who has the confidence to say, I did it well. 
I wasn't perfect, but I followed Jesus. And don't we want people like that around us, you know? Like that are like, man, I know I'm following Jesus. I know who he's, I, I am not perfect. I make mistakes every single day, but I have confidence that I am following him and that I will not be ashamed for the life that I'm living. And we ask ourselves, do I have that confidence? And then say, why or why not? And that's, that'll start the process. And then you say, God, maybe even you say before that, you ask God, uh, ask the Lord, Lord, where do, should I have that confidence? Sometimes you do and you shouldn't. And sometimes you should and you don't. So God, where am I? What is there in my life that is holding me back from following and honoring you? And and that I would say, if Jesus were to come back tomorrow and I were to go before him, I would say, ah, I wish I would have let that thing go. I wish I would have chosen to honor him and serve him. Or I wish I would have cared more about that person or found a way to reach out to them or to bless them or I wish I would have been less selfish in this way or that way. Obviously, we all have things. So there's no judgment there from, you know, but, but from our perspective. Like, man, we're all working through it. But it's a process of sanctification is when God brings something up, we go, oh, and then we repent. Our mind is changed. We no longer want to go that way anymore. Whoa, that's my way? That leads to death? How about I do a quick 180 and get, I, my mind has been changed. Now I follow you, Jesus. So, um, yeah, maybe in this last worship song, even you could spend some time and, or when you go home and just be like, man, where am I at? Could I say mission accomplished if, if I knew I was going to die tomorrow? And again, no legalistic heavy trip, but also like, why not be aware of stuff that's not good for us? Why not be aware of like, that there's more? God isn't telling you this so you feel condemned. He's telling you this so that we can wake up and that we can experience life and, and walk in it. Remember, Paul blew a lot of years doing really gnarly bad stuff. But he doesn't look at it like that. He says, God used it and redeemed it. And he changed me. And he's made me now a proponent of the gospel. And my message is like a, it's a testimony of his grace. But at one point in his life, he decided it's no longer about me. It's about you. And I'm following you wholeheartedly. And it's right there in Acts chapter 9. Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like to join us in person, we meet at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings. For more info on the church or ministries we offer, head over to calvarycarlsbad.com. Thank you, and God bless.